All right, you could go ahead and have a seat. Kids, students, I'm so glad that you are here today. Um, hey, let's, uh, let's just kind of admit it. This, this, uh, this is a tough passage. Right? I mean, we, we kind of read it, and, and for probably most of us, maybe even all of us, this, this feels kind of a little heavier. Uh, Jesus is talking about some, some kind of sensitive topics with, with marriage, with divorce, remarriage, singleness. And for a lot of us, this kind of kicks up some feelings. Um, you know, some of you are just wondering, like, all right, is Ricky going to just say what I want him to say? And that I like it, and I agree with it. Some of you are just like, you know, we, we live in this culture, and, the, you know, a lot of these, these topics kind of come into our culture, and those are pretty charged. But I'd say for a lot of us, this is, this is pretty personal. I mean, I, probably all of us have been affected by these topics in some ways. I mean, most of us either, you know, have somebody in our sphere or us ourselves that have been affected by divorce. I mean, my parents were divorced for several years. And these, these relationships that we're talking about, romance, marriage, all these things, like they have such this great potential to bring good and joy into our lives. But on the flip side, they have also this opportunity to bring in pain and hurt. And um, probably for most of us, the, the, the biggest pain that we have in our lives tends to be relational pain. And, uh, and they hit, this hits close for, for us or, again, people that we know, people that we love and we care about. And, um, yeah, and, and so these are, these are just kind of more than just a passage to a lot of us. And um, I would just say, like, as we dive into this, I just want to say a couple of things. Just one, whatever your background is, whatever your past experience Wherever you're at, you know, if you're like, man, hey, I'm, I'm single or I'm divorced or I'm remarried or whatever it is, I would just say this, at no point in this, don't, I, I don't want you to feel like you don't belong here. Don't, don't, don't feel like anybody's looking down on you because of whatever phase of life or situation you're in. Right? The scriptures just don't really, Jesus never encourages that. Um, and so I just say, yeah, like, know that, that we love you, we care about you. And that you're here, you belong here. And, uh, you know, but we are looking at the words of Jesus too, you know, and so I do want us to, to, again, just kind of feel everybody to feel safe. But on the flip side, like, not really on the flip side, but just in addition to that, like, we do want to listen to the words of Jesus and follow him in that, whatever that might be. And for some of you, you're getting, we're going to read this and you'll be like, man, that, I totally agree. I love what Jesus said there. Boom. And this will feel great. For some of you, this will be like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like what Jesus said. And maybe you even disagree. And I'd say as we go through this, you know, if you, if you have conversations with people that you disagree with, you know, that, that's, that's okay. Like be gracious to one another. Let, let's have those conversations. And at the end, if you don't fully agree, it's, it's okay. Take a breath. And, you know, we're all in process in that. But, but we do want to have Jesus' words shape us. To move us, have His Spirit, His Word shape us. And because Jesus does call us to follow Him. And that could really challenge us in a lot of ways. I mean, sometimes it's with things like this, with, with relationships and stuff. But sometimes Jesus really challenges us in different ways, like money or whatever it might be. And so we, we are all looking to Him. We all come here today 
not having, not, not coming stronger than somebody else exactly, right? We're all coming here today because we are in desperate need of our Savior Jesus. We're all sinful, broken, messy people, and so we're coming here today. And so Jesus gives us his word out of love for us. Just remember who's saying these words. Whatever Jesus is saying, it's out of love for us. If I tell my kids, don't play in the street, it's not me being a party pooper to my kids. You know, just trying to deny them freedom or whatever it is. It's like, no, don't play in the street because that is the absolute best thing for you and I care so much about you. And Jesus comes to us in the same way with this absolute love and care for us. And so... Just kind of know that as we dive into all this. Um, and know that I'm not going to be able to address everything. You know, some of you are going to have questions. I'm not going to, I just can't answer all your questions. Um, or I might not say everything 100% perfectly. Um, but if you, if you have questions, or if you're, if you're, even if you're frustrated, just say, come talk to me, come talk to us. We'd love to just work through this with you. So uh, with all that said, we'll dive in. We're going to be looking at three parts today. Uh, God's design for marriage. Jesus' allowance for divorce. And Jesus' encouragement in singleness. So God's design uh, for marriage is what we're going to be looking at at first. God's design for marriage. So verse 1, chapter 19. When, G- when Jesus had finished saying these things, so it's kind of like the, the previous discourse, his big block of teaching in Matthew 18, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of uh, Judea across the Jordan. So he's, he's continuing to head towards Jerusalem, his upcoming uh, death crucifixion, resurrection. And, um, and so large crowds, they followed him and he healed them there. So kind of like normal type stuff for Jesus. Verse three, some Pharisees uh, approached him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? And so again, they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. That's their goal. They're trying to test him, to trip him up, to get people to stop following him. And so they, they pop this question. Well, can, can somebody divorce their wife for, for any reason? And, and notice, this, their question is not, can a married couple get a divorce? That's not their question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for anything? Any reason? And th- this is, again, just some cultural background. So uh, for the Jewish world, Marriage was kind of a big deal. You get married, you, you're, supposed, you're kind of supposed to get married, have kids, uh, follow uh, what, what God laid out in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. And so for them, this idea of getting married, having kids was very normal and, and kind of expected. That's what kind of everybody should kind of do. And so they have this high view of marriage, sort of. But they also have a low view of women. In, in some of the, I mean, some of the Jewish circles, even when you read it in the Old Testament, a lot of their, their neighboring uh, people that are around them, the different people, different cultures, ethnicities, would practice polygamy. And so they would have multiple wives. And so in some ways, wives could be acquired kind of almost like property. And on the flip side, well, if you're done then guys, husbands could kind of discard them like property. And so that's the world that the the Pharisees are living in. And so that's why their question is worded the way it is. Not, can a couple get married or divorced for any reason? It's, can a man, can a husband get rid of his wife for anything? And so their, their, their question kind of revolves around, and their debate revolves around an Old Testament verse 
in Deuteronomy 24. And this is what it says, 24.1. It says, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him or, or indecent to him, because he, or because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. And so this is, this is the source of the debate. And it mainly revolved around, well, well what does indecent mean? So if, if she does anything that's indecent or displeases, what does it mean that, that she did something to displease him? And so... As Jewish scholars, rabbis, are, are kind of interpreting this and debating this, you kind of ended up with, with two schools of thought. One of them said, well, that that word indecent really just means like sexual morality. That, that's what it means. It, he, can, he can divorce, he can write her a certificate if that's what takes place. If there's some sort of adultery, and, and that was somewhat even encouraged. If, if that's what happened, just divorce her. It, but only on that side of it, that's what the word indecent means. Well, then there was this other camp, and they focused more on the word displeases. And so they would just say, well, displeases means displeases. So if she does anything that displeases you, you can divorce her. So basically anything. Oh, and I mean, this is actually serious, like real stuff. I'm not making up just random things. This is what they would taught and think at the time. So if she burns the bread, she burns dinner. Well, that probably displeased you. Divorce. Oh, she's talking too much. You know what? I don't want to know about your day. Boop. Out. Well, one guy even said, if, she, if, if the wife starts to become displeasing to your eyes, you could divorce her. And so these are, are kind of like the two camps. Now, in that culture where men have more power, which do you think was the more popular view? The first one, that is, well, it's, it's only if there's adultery or basically anything. Which one do you think is more popular? Anything. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's anything. I mean, does culture tend to make things, you know, that, that, that's what we want. We want an easy out, an escape clause, a back door. Yay. And so that was, that was the, the very popular um, position was, well, you could kind of do it for whatever. And so in their question, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus, and they're like, yeah. They're, they ask him this question, and so they're kind of telling him, you need to pick a side. So if he picks the, the cons, like, kind of conservative side, it's only for this reason, then that's not very popular. And then they're like, just like John the Baptist, earlier in Matthew, John the Baptist was the precursor to Christ. Uh, he, he's a prophet. And so he spoke up against Herod and Herodias' marriage because they each got divorced and then Herod married his brother's wife and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, that's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, which again, we'd probably be like, no, duh. But he spoke up against that, John the Baptist did, and that eventually led to his death. And so if, if Jesus takes the, kind of that route, it's like, well, we got you. Because you then people won't like what you said and maybe, maybe that'll get you in trouble with Herod and stuff. But... If you take the more lenient route, then maybe we'll, 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 we'll attack you from the other side. And either way, they, they think they got him. And so Jesus responds in, in verse 4. Now, as we read this, I just think, like, wouldn't G, like if, G, if people just came up to you and said, can, can I divorce my wife for anything? I think the simple answer for most of us would be no. 
Not for anything, right? Why doesn't Jesus respond that way? He doesn't just say anything. And so I want you to notice, and that this, this goes with our first point, Jesus isn't just telling them, well, hey, here, here's, here's your answer. You, you, you know, but you could get divorced on these grounds, right? That, that's not really Jesus' thing. He's not even trying to necessarily enter the debate of what indecent or displeasing is. Jesus here is, try, is showing them, hey, the, this is the purpose for marriage. This is God's design for marriage. This is what he intends. And so he takes them back to Genesis, back to the roots, back to the foundation, back to the first thing that of what or what God was saying, his intention. He goes to scripture. So verse four, haven't you read? Basically, Jesus is saying like, haven't you read your Bible? Of course, you know, like they're Bible scholars, at least supposed to be replied that he, God, who created them in the beginning, made them male and female. And so Jesus, he's going back to Genesis one in creation. Hey, in the beginning, God, he determined, he decided it male and created them male and female. This was according to his design, his choosing, his will. He determined their gender. And then verse 5. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And again, this is, this is right there in Genesis. And God is, God is saying, that, or Jesus is saying, God made gender, God determined that, and then God made marriage. It wasn't a social construct. It's not like somebody was walking around, you know, some caveman one day and being like, Ugh, you know, I, I don't know what they would have said, but uh, seems right, <laughs> you know, and then just said, let's make marriage. That, that's not what happened. What Jesus is saying is God made marriage. God invented it. This is not something that's, that's man-made. And so if, if God designed it, marriage to be between a, a husband and a wife, and it's his thing that, that he made, then God gets to design it. If he's the one that invented it, he determines what it's supposed to look like. On the flip side, if, if, we, if people made it up, then that would make sense that we could tweak it. Well, we really meant this, we really meant that, and we could, we could kind of change it how we want. On, on earlier this week, on Tuesday, Alex and I were, we went to this like meeting pastor thing up in North Lincoln by the airport, and so we're, we get there and we hang out there for an hour and a half or so, and then we're leaving and I'm driving, and I mean, I like am basically never out there by the airport, and so I just leave out of the parking lot and just like, here we go. Hey, uh, where do we go? And Alex is like, I don't know, but not that way. And I'm like thinking, yeah, I don't think it's that way either. But what do we do? Aha, we have smartphones. Let's use the app. Let's use GPS. Plug it in there. You know, how do we get back to the church? Boink. And so, so we're driving, and then it, you know, it kicks on the little line, and the lady starts talking. You will turn. Um, how everything. And basically, it was like. Yeah, th- go a, throw a U-turn and go back the way you, you said you weren't supposed to go. Um, <laughs> it was like exactly, it was like, nope, oh no, not that way. Yes, it is that way. Oh, uh, okay. Thanks, GPS. But, and, and our thought was, we don't know where we're going. We didn't design all of the streets in Lincoln. So we don't know what the best direction is for us to get to where we need to go. 
And I'm sure you've done that. And, and here's the thing. We completely trust the authority and the wisdom of the GPS app. Right? But, but when it comes to relationships or marriage, when it comes to God who designed it, we're like, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. Right? We, we trust the app more than we do God. A lot of times. And so as we're unpacking God's design here, remember, God's design is better than our desire. God's directions are better than us plugging in our own. Because if we really want to get to where, really ultimately I think we all want, and what is absolutely best for us, even if we don't want it, God's way is always better. Because if we follow our own directions, we're going to end up somewhere that we're not meant to be. And so, so Jesus is pointing us, pointing them to God's design. So, so what is God's design for marriage? Here's the first thing. Marriage is covenant. Write this down if you're taking notes. Marriage is covenant. So in verse 5, he, he says, okay, I created, God, Jesus says, God created them male and female. And because of that, for that reason, man is going to leave his parents and be joined to his wife. Maybe you've heard it. He's going to leave and cleave. He's going to leave parents and, and be cleave. And so that, that word there, to, to be joined or to cleave, means to make a covenant. To, to be glued together. To be united. To be welded together. That, that's, and, and so in that, marriage is a covenant. Covenant is commitment. A promise of what you will do, of what you will hold fast to. I mean, think, when you go to a wedding, at least it should be this way, a a wedding, in in entering into that marriage, is a public vow of faithfulness. A promise. If you're really not doing that, then it's not really marriage, right? I mean, when, when couples, if they're like, we'd love for you to marry us, I'm like, awesome, great. Do you want to do traditional vows, or do you want to write your own vows? Oh, we want to write your own vows. And, and I tell them, if you're going to write them, you have to include covenant language. If all your vows are is what the other person, like you just love them, if that's all it is, and you're just telling, a, telling everybody how this other person makes you feel, that's not marriage. Marriage is not based on how somebody makes you feel. It's covenant. It's, it, it's not just liking somebody when you see them or just feeling happy when they're around, right? I mean, a bunch of you go home and your dog is super happy to see you. Your cat, not so much, right? But just your dog's feelings towards you doesn't make you married to the dog, right? You like the dog, they like you, yay, 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 fetch it, right? That doesn't make you married, like it's covenant, A marriage ceremony is less about your current feelings, but more about the promise of what you do to to do for the rest of your life, into the future. That's why we say that language, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, sickness and his health, as long as we both shall live. You're pledging yourself, regardless of how they're kind of acting to them from this point into the future. Marriage is, is, is not just about having kids. Right? Jesus doesn't refer to anything. Well, hey, get married so you could have kids. 
It's not the point. That's not God's necessarily design. That's not what he's talking about. It's this union. And ver- look at what he says. He keeps going. Verse, verse 6. The two, or they, two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. One plus one equals one in God's design for marriage. No, you're no longer, there's a whole person and another whole person, and then they become a whole. It's not two halves. You don't have another half, right, that just magically fits you. Like it's, if you're a whole person, you're becoming one together. And again, this is what God has joined together. And so you, in, in marriage, you're, you become one in such a way that, that your lives are just intertwined. One future, one flesh, one family, one body. And so in this, it, this, this takes priority. I mean, if marriage is this covenant, this pledge of, of what we're going to be together, then it takes priority. I mean, notice Jesus says, you will leave father and mother and be joined. So this kind of most foundational, kind of basic relationship that, we, that all of us are brought into is parents, mom, dad. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to leave that because you're not one with your parents. You will leave them and become one in marriage. And so th- th- that relationship even takes priority. And so, so he, Jesus is pointing out and that marriage is his, God's design for this is covenant. Second thing that, that God's design for marriage is, is to reflect the gospel. And so just because Jesus, he doesn't give us, it's not like Jesus is answering all our questions or giving us everything about marriage, but just want us to know that it, in God's design for marriage, marriage is to reflect Jesus. It's to reflect the gospel. So in Ephesians 5, Paul quotes Jesus here. Paul quotes Jesus and basically is quoting Genesis. And, and he, Paul says, well, marriage... It is meant to be this, this picture of God, Jesus, and His church. And so as, as husband and wife, and how you love one another, honor one another, follow one another, all of these things, you're to reflect the beauty and the love of Christ. Marriage is to glorify God and point us back to Jesus. And so here, here's kind of the thing. The main thing in marriage isn't marriage. Right? The main thing in marriage is God. Right? So if you're like, oh, I'm going to go home, you know, and what's the main purpose of your marriage? It's not you. Right? The, the main purpose of, of, of your relationship with your spouse or, or future spouse, whatever you might be, is not your happiness, your feelings. Like, again, not that those things don't matter, but it's to glorify God, to point to Him. As I, as I hopefully do a great job of loving Christy, my wife, I'm not pointing her to just how awesome I am, which you guys are like, yeah, you're not that awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pointing to man, man, you know who, like Jesus' love for you is far better than what I can do, but I, but I want you to see that. And so that, that's his design that, that we're to reflect the gospel in that. And so if this is Jesus saying, well, this is my design for, for marriage, that it's covenant, that it's meant to reflect the gospel. So, so then just some practical things. First, this is why this is so important that you marry somebody for, that believes in Jesus like you do. 
Right? Like, I know that could be a tough thing. And people, you know, some of you be like, well, I know so-and-so and so-and-so, and they weren't. And, and God did something, right? God does do a lot of great things with our messes. That doesn't mean that they were great decisions. Right? That doesn't, that doesn't mean it like God just like, cool, do it. It's his will. But this is why it's so important to marry somebody of faith. To becoming one. To becoming one. And if, and if the most important thing about me is my faith in Jesus, and then I'm supposed to become one with somebody that doesn't believe the same thing, man, that's really hard. That's, re- that's really hard to live that out. Right? If, if they just don't believe in Jesus. Also, if the purpose of our marriage is not just, f- just for us to, to enjoy each other, but to reflect the gospel, and you don't want to do that, then that makes that extremely difficult. Right? And so, so, yeah, it's so important to be marrying somebody of the same faith, that, that you're really heading the same direction towards Christ. doesn't mean that you have to be totally equal maturity in Christ, but that you're just both moving that direction. Another practical thing is this. So if marriage is, is covenant, it's friendship, it's reflecting Christ, here's the thing, it takes work. If God says, this is what I've joined together, then you cooperating with what God has done means you're, you keep moving towards what God has joined together. And, and for you, those of you that are married, you're like, yeah, not every day is awesome. For those of you that aren't married, not every day is awesome. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like somebody's like, oh, marriage is, awesome. is, is great. And then Tuesday, you're like, man, you want me to like serve you? Bummer. How about we flip this around? That's way more fun, right? You be like Jesus. I will be like the church. Right? It, it, it's, it's, it's hard. Serving isn't always easy. Denying yourself. Right? But I just say, like, wherever you're at, right? If, if, you're, in, if you're married now, I just say, man, be praying for your marriage. Be praying that God would be shaping you, fostering, build it, work at it. If you're not married, be praying that God would make you who He wants you to be, whether you're married or not. Be praying that God would make you a servant because you're not going to suddenly get married and become a servant. It takes effort in this. And so Jesus in this, this is what he's going back to. They're asking this question. Can a guy get divorced for any reason? And Jesus doesn't really go to there. He's just like, well, let me tell you what God wants for marriage. What God, the root of it, his design for that. And so verse 7 because they keep going. So then they say, well, why then? Because they're trying to trap Jesus. Why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? Verse 8, he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So here's, here's the second, second point. Second thing is Jesus' allowance for divorce. Jesus' allowance for divorce. So see, their question is, is well, why then did Moses command divorce? See, and that's not true. Moses did not command divorce. Jesus responds, well, no, he, he allowed it. He permitted it. If, if, if there was even you know, adultery or marital unfaithfulness, that didn't mean you had to get married, but you could. You could get divorced. And so, 
Jesus is pointing out something that actually the Pharisees would know because in that time there was the command of the law. This is what God has commanded. And then there was concession from the law. A command expressed God's heart, His desire. It revealed His, his, his will. And you know, Jesus says from, from the beginning, right? That's what He just got through telling about. And a concession was something that God allowed in society because of fallen people. And so Jesus is saying, well, this, I know that you're going to mess up. I know that there's going to be sin in relationship. And so Jesus said, well, okay, there can be this allowance for, um, for divorce. But he makes this, this allowance only for, for sexual immorality, for, for marital unfaithfulness. And then he says, but if you divorce, basically if you divorce your wife for any reason... And then you, as, as the husband, right? Because he's talking to Pharisees and their questions is, are kind of male-centric, husband-centric. And if you, husband, divorce your wife for any reason and you go and marry somebody else, that's adultery. So Jesus right here is being kind of specific to them, to their question. Because again, here's what the Pharisees and, and many husbands and guys would do at the time. All right, I'm married. Hey, I'm done with you. That over there looks kind of cool. Like to do that. All right. And so, so they're trying to kind of play this like, let's look godly thing. So I'm just going to divorce my wife. I'm not, I'm not going to just go straight to commit adultery and have, have an affair or anything like that. I'll divorce my wife. And so then I'm like, I'm good. And then I'll go get married. And there we go. And Jesus is saying, well, if you're actually doing that, he doesn't, he, he doesn't say, like, the woman's doing this. He says, like, you. You're, you're the ones that are committing adultery. Because you, you remarried somebody in the, and you got out of your marriage because of just utter selfishness in a way that God did not allow or permit. You broke the covenant and you came over here. And so he's, like, saying, you're committing adultery for that. And so really Jesus is kind of, like, not fitting in either camp. The, the conservative camp or, or even like the, the, the more lenient camp. He, he's taken an even higher view of these things because, because here's the thing, the Pharisees approached marriage as consumer or contract rather than covenant. They, they, they were like, this is a consumer relationship and there's nothing wrong with consumer relationships. We all have them. In some ways, right? Like we have consumer relationships with food places or with our phone place, phone companies. Ultimately, we approach those relationships that it's like, I want something from you. You want something from me. So if we exchange these things, then we each get what we want. But if you don't give me what I want, or I don't give you what you want, boom, it's over. I'm going to Verizon. Out. Charge too much. Right? And we have those. But, but, but again, we have, those consumer relationships are mainly about what do I want? That's how we all approach them. Right? We, 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 don't, we don't have that kind of relationship with our kids. I can't, I can't just like go to, to my son Carson and just say, Hey, you know what? You haven't been obeying good and cleaning your room like you want. And, and you know what? Actually... I'm sick of shooting these hoops with you and these other kids down the street. They like to play football, so out. Right? We'd be like, what? Even some of you are like, you said that to your kid? I didn't. It was, a, it was an example. 
Right? We, we can't imagine that. We, we can't imagine that with our sports teams that are continually bad. We're not leaving. But, but, some, but with spouses, right? In marriage, sometimes we're looking for the back door. We're looking for the escape clause. How do I, how do I get out of this? Remember... Marriage is covenant, and remember what was right before this. I think Matthew is putting, the, putting his book together by the leading of the Holy Spirit in very purposeful ways. Right before this, Jesus talks about the unforgiving servant. And he's saying, man, the way that you continue to forgive people is because you realize how much God has forgiven you. And so that, that comes into these, these relationships. And so, so it's, it's not this contract, it's not this consumer relationship, it's, it's a covenant. Dissolving that, that covenant really isn't meant to be an option. But Jesus is saying, when he says here, but, but it, there, there, there is some reasons that, that there is an allowance for divorce, and that, that's marital unfaithfulness, adultery. Now you might be like, well, why would that be an exception? There, there are just certain things in, in marriage that kill the covenant. It, it's, it's just like, hey, and I would just say adultery is one of those things. Jesus saying this is God's design for marriage. The two shall become one, one, one future, one, one family, one body, one flesh. And if somebody takes what is only meant for this marriage relationship and they take it and they go to another place, that's like a break in the covenant. That's a, that's a break of the covenant. And, and if there's an allowance then for the person that's betrayed to just say, you don't have to, but you can just say, okay, we, I, I can't recover from that. And now you might be asking, okay, well, Jesus gives us this one example. Are there any other reasons that somebody can get a divorce? Because Jesus' like, teaching here isn't like, you know, comprehensive. So are there any other reasons? And I'd say Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he seems to use this, the same logic about an allowance for divorce, and, he's, and he uses desertion or abandonment. If, if there's a believer, believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, and the unbelieving spouse says, I'm out. I don't, I don't want to be married anymore. Not in the believing spouse. You know, it's not like they're trying to leave, but the unbelieving spouse is just like, no. And so like they've decided it's over. And so that person has broken covenant. And so he says, you, divorce is, is allowed. Now, some of you might be asking, well, what about in cases of, of abuse? And I, I would just say like, if, or, or illegal activity. First, if, if that's your reality right now, that, that you're in a situation that, that, that harm is taking place and that there's, there's abuse, I'd just say, come to us and we would love to help you get out of that situation immediately. Right away. I do not want you, like, please, I, I know that, like, that, that's, I'm, I'm sure that that situation is incredibly hard and I just want you to hear, we love you, we care about you, we are here for you. Please come and, and talk to us. Now, when it comes to divorce in those situations of abuse, I think, I think the, the logic that, that Jesus used and, and that Paul uses a little bit more so in 1 Corinthians 7 is that that, that abuse is, is a break of the covenant. 
Somebody has, has just like basically left them and they're like an unbeliever. And, and they are just no longer treating somebody as a human being. And so, again, if you're in those, that situation, please come to us. Call the authorities or, or Child Protective Services. And, I, and I'd also say, if you are somebody that, that you're like, well, you're the abuser. You're abusing someone else. I would also encourage you to come to us. Talk to someone. We want to help you um, to confess that, to repent from that, and to move towards Christ in that. And so, I would say like those are the reasons that, that divorce is allowed. Adultery, abandonment, uh, or, or abuse. But, but the point is, is that Jesus is saying, well, divorce shouldn't be easy. Um, I like what I heard somebody say, divorce should be like amputation. There, there are times when amputation is necessary, but if you go to any doctor and their, their diagnosis and their prescription is always amputation, you might want to find somebody new. Hey doc, you know, I got this stomach bug. You know what? Let's just cut that out. Huh? Um, you know, uh, man, I got these, you know, acne problem. Let's just cut that right off. Boom, let's just cut your head off. No more acne. Okay, sprained ankle, amputate. Right? You would be like, this doctor is nuts. Like, but, you know, you know be, be, because it's like, well, amputation, sometimes it is necessary. Something has gotten so toxic, some, so rough, where it's just like, yep, yeah, for the person to survive, we're just going to have to cut it off. But that's not your first go-to. Right? So, so in, in divorce, it, it's, it's like that. What, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so I just say, if you're, what do you, if you're like, well, but man, Ricky, what do I do? I'm so struggling in my marriage. What do I do? And, and if you're so struggling in your marriage, I just say, man, again, like that's what the body of Christ is for. I mean, marriage is hard. We all need God's help. We all need other people's help. I, I am not a perfect husband. I know you're like, duh. You're not perfect at anything. Maybe cookies. You're welcome. Right? But like, I, I need other people to help sharpen and shape me to be more and more like Christ as I am a husband. Right? So where, wherever you're at, if, if you're, man, my marriage is super hard, or maybe you're considering divorce, I'd just say, come, come talk to us. Come talk to somebody to, so that we can help and love one another. But, it, but it's very common for people to just kind of drift, 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 not tell anybody, and then boom, they kind of tell somebody, and it's like basically too late. It's like you're, telling, you're not telling me that you're struggling in marriage, you're basically telling me you're just getting divorced. And so go to somebody that's what the church is, is there for. And I just want to explain a few things, because some, some of you might be wondering things. If you are divorced, that doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian. I think sometimes in church world, we look down on people that are divorced. I don't really sense it here, but like just in church world out there, it could be like, well, it's almost like super taboo. And I don't really get that. Right? We'll be like, oh yeah, you, you struggle with greed or lust? Okay, just repent. Oh, oh, that one. Right? And so, so I just say, if, if you have gotten divorced, whether that's a biblically allowed divorce or not, you're welcome here. We love you. It's not the unforgivable sin. Yeah, I mean, I want you to even consider, like, God himself 
in some ways associates himself as a divorced person. In Jeremiah 3.8, God says to Israel that he gives them a certificate of divorce. So in some sort of way, God's kind of saying like, he's kind of had a divorce. And so if, if you know, if wherever you're at in that, I just say like, you're, you're welcome here. And, and it, what, what if you're the person, maybe you're thinking like, well, what if I'm the person that was unfaithful? What about me? Then I would just say this, just kind of like with any sin for any of us, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Repent. Like we should be doing with all of our sin. What if I got a divorce for a non-biblical reason? Okay. Turn to Christ. Keep walking with Him. If you're like, well, I, I did and, and that we got divorced for an un-biblical you know, biblical allowance, but now I'm remarried, what should I do? Be faithful to the marriage that you have. Know that, that a lot of relationships start pretty weird and God uses those. So even if you're like in that, I like what, what Tim Keller points out with, with King David. So King David and how his relationship started with Bathsheba. King David basically forces himself on her and then she becomes pregnant and so then he has her husband killed to cover up his tracks and then marries her. That's, pro- that's a pretty rocky start. I think, to, to a marriage. And you're like, hey, how'd you guys meet? Well, you know, you're not like, you're not putting them up there on newlywed game. And so, so like, so that their marriage starts basically in, in sin because of David. Over and over again in sin. But yet, God uses that marriage in some very powerful ways. That eventually leads to Solomon. That eventually leads to Jesus, the Messiah, being born. That's Jesus' family line. And so God uses our mess as ministry. God uses our, our, our sin in, in even amazing ways. That doesn't mean that we take it lightly, but we thank God that He is bigger than our mess. Right? Isn't that true? Like, we're all here because of this thing to just say, I'm broken, I'm sinful, and I'm, I'm coming here to a God, to a Savior that's bigger than all of those things. Jesus paid it all. Not some of it, not yours, and not my, like, like, not these small ones, and then he leaves the big ones alone. Jesus paid it all. He paid the price for all sin. And so Jesus meets us in those situations. And so Jesus, he, he explains this mindset with marriage and divorce. And then um, let, let's go, then verse, verse 10. So the, this, the, the disciples, verse 10, they're like, um, oh man, if this, if this, if the relationship of men with his wife is like this, it's better to not marry, right? Because this is the culture they live in. It's very, they're like easy get outs. So like, well, man, if it's like that, maybe we shouldn't marry. And so then Jesus, he addresses this last point, and this is Jesus' encouragement and singleness. Verse 11, Jesus responded, not everyone can accept the saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made that way by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept this, let him, they should accept it. And so, um, you, he uses these, these words here that are probably a little confusing, like eunuchs, what's that? You know, basically a eunuch would be somebody that has had, you know, it's typically a guy, would have had their, their reproductive stuff, like, taken away. And typically that would be somebody else is doing that. They're not usually volunteering for that. Um, and so, but Jesus is using, I think he's not necessarily saying just, oh, eunuchs, that's not really his point. But he's using this strong language because in their, their culture, it was just like, so like, yeah, of course you get married. 
And Jesus is saying, actually, because their disciples like, well, it should be better to not get married. And so this spurs Jesus' answer to, to basically say, there are some people that are not going to get married. And, it's, and that's actually can be a very good and amazing thing. And so he says, well, some are single by birth. And that's just like, well, maybe they just never have a desire to be, to be married. For others, they, they've been made this way by men. I, th- I, I take that to just mean like sometimes people that, that their circumstances, it just doesn't allow them to get married for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's something physical. Um, maybe just something, maybe circumstances just kept them from doing that. And then he says, well, some were, were single by choice. Maybe, you know, for, for other reasons, or maybe just God has called them to that. And so G- Jesus is saying, singleness, because the disciples are kind of like, well, gosh, then it's just not better to get married. And Jesus is saying, no, actually, singleness is a real option for some. Celibacy. And I think what Jesus, Jesus is saying here is the purpose of life is not, or, or even your route to happiness is not in marriage. It's not in having kids. It's not in self-fulfillment, but to the kingdom of God. To living for Christ. And, and, and this way to live for the kingdom of Christ, of Christ, some of you that might be lived out in marriage, and for some of you that might be lived out in singleness. But you don't need to be married to have a meaningful, purposeful life. It's not like marriage is a higher calling. Just like marriage can be a calling, singleness can be a calling. And in, in, in our culture today, I, I think a lot of times we think that marriage or, or let's say physical gratification is what we need. Whatever we desire, however we want to be satisfied, we're like, that's what I need to do to be fulfilled. And, and Jesus said, that, that's, that's not the purpose of life. I mean, think of even Jesus himself. I would say that Jesus himself had the most meaningful life of anyone. The most full life of anyone. And he was single his entire life. Paul, later on, he, he's, he's one of the apostles. He's done amazing things for God. Single. There's nothing less about Jesus or about Paul. And so, I'd say if, if you are single... Maybe you will eventually get married, maybe not. But I'd say either way for you, or even if you're married, it's not just who the person that you're married to, but like the body of Christ is your family. So just like we try to foster that relationship with others or your marriage, we want to foster that relationship with the, with the body of Christ. That, that's really a permanent family that we will always have, the body of Christ. And I also say, like, singleness is not a problem to be solved. So if you're married, you don't need to bug people that are single. Your job is to not hook them up. They don't have a problem. Right? That's just the situation of life that they're in. For the glory of God. Just like whatever situation you're in is for the glory of God. But in no way makes them second class. And so... Being married or being single, neither one of those things is, is more holy than the other. And so if, if you are single, maximize your singleness for the glory of Christ, for the kingdom. If you are married, then maximize your marriage for Christ, for the glory of God. And so I'd say whether you're, whether you're married 
or whether you're single, both of those things can be very hard. And so wherever you're at, we all need Jesus' strength to do it. We all need His Holy Spirit to live this out. And so we all need His help. And so I, I just encourage you, so, so wherever you're at, keep seeking Jesus. Keep seeking Jesus. And just remember that whether you're married or not, Jesus is the ultimate spouse. Jesus is the one that is always faithful to you when you're not always faithful to Him. Jesus is always the one that pursues you even when you're not at your best. Jesus loves you perfectly. He pursues you constantly. He is always faithful. Even if you're moving away from Him, Jesus continues to move towards you. He is the ultimate spouse. The ultimate one who denies Himself, who sacrificed Himself in your place so that we might have Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank You so much um, of Your words here that You just show us Your intention, Your design uh, for marriage, but also just for life, Lord, that, that we are to live for You, for Your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that, that You give us strength to just continue to look to You, Lord, in, in wherever we're at. And Lord, help us to not feel, wherever we're at, wherever kind of situation, help us to not feel shame, Lord, but to just know that we have freedom to come to you. That there is, to those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. That we are, we are forgiven, that you are alive, that you're at work in our lives. And so Lord, help us to just continue to look to you uh, and to have you shape us. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.